Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Welcome to Trailer Rewind. Every month we go back and look at a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks from the regular show. We watch it and have a very spoilery discussion about it. Today we're going to talk about Odd Thomas. This was Pete's pick from February 7th, 2014. Pete said he was really nervous about this one. He's a big fan of pulp crime novels, including Dean Koontz. He said his father-in-law had introduced him to the Odd Thomas series of books. 
and described that as sort of a horror mystery comedy series. And he was excited that he heard it was going to be released back in 2013, and then it was shelved, and he feared that it would never see the light of day. Uh, he was sort of bittersweet about hearing that when it finally got released, it was a straight-to-digital release. But he did look forward to this as sort of an empty calories type film that's enjoyable, but not a whole lot to it. JJ, as someone who's not a fan of the horror genre, what did you think of Odd Thomas? Well, you know, you say that, and I just feel like you know, I should explain myself. It's not that it's not that I don't like horror. Wait, I totally don't like horror. That's true, and it's only because I don't like being scared, and I get scared super easily. So, um, so it, when, if we talk about horror in particular, and a and in particular, Odd Thomas, I I did get scared a couple times. Um, so, if that was the purpose of the film then it accomplished that so i have to be very objective in the way that i look at horror and the value of horror that's out there because i personally don't attach positive emotions to negative emotions like being terrified however uh the uh, thomas i thought was enjoyable for other reasons and um some of the other things that i like about movies that are typically put into the scary movie sort of genres in that bucket uh, i can still go and see because if they are uh, thought out in their mythology, if they are clever, if they are cute in the case of Odd Thomas, if they, uh, if they spend some time with the story and make interesting characters. And I thought that was all present here. I thought uh, the story in general had some neat twists and turns that I didn't expect um, and that I was really looking through the entire time I was in the film, trying to figure out who, who the big bad was uh, throughout, and I didn't guess it. And so it turned out to be kind of a mystery in that respect, too. So it definitely felt like a book. That's kind of what I think the thing that I want to say here in my opening statement, because I think I've watched it now twice, and going back the second time, it really feels like a book, and it really feels uh, scripted to that nature. But if you're looking for something, you said empty calories. If you're looking for some good kind of suspenseful cotton candy uh, cute fun on Netflix this is going to be a good film for you in, in my opinion what did you think Steve well it's yeah I, I agree with you it's there's a big challenge when you're going to make a film off a series of books that have a fan base to them because you, that it's really going to depend something particularly like this is the execution of taking something that has really a unique tone to it because it you say that, you know as a horror film i mean this isn't you know something that i think uh is going to keep people up at night you know just terrified of every little bump in the house it does have some intense scary moments to it but that's it's really balanced by the the mystery story that you, you spoke about and i think the you know to to execute that from a it can carry over in a book really well because you have that depth of getting to know the characters to get to know the world, to really establish that tone in a film having less than two hours. Writing's got to do a lot of heavy lifting to get all of that packed in there if you're counting on that for the execution of the film. And I think they tried to accomplish that through a lot of the voiceover work, the, the, the narration that Odd Thomas does to really introduce us to this town, himself, all the people we encounter there was a lot of that at the front end of this film to just get us acquainted with this really unique world that the story is going to take place in. Yeah, it almost felt like a TV series with over-the-top narration to me in that every time they move set pieces, they kind of led with a clever little jingle and a little bit of odd 
uh, odd being the character now, odd uh, narration over the top. And that just, it really felt sort of serial in that nature. It felt like I was uh, reading the chapters of a book or watching a, a television show in that way. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's something that probably the, yeah, I haven't read any of the books to sort of get a sense of the structure or sequence of how the stories are told, the chapters, of how they're structured in the book. But I could have seen this as something that was perhaps built as possibly launching a franchise. You've got the series of books to draw on. You want to establish a certain expectation and that loyalty to the book, the sort of very serialized nature of that fits with something that would be adapted. I don't know if back in, I guess, 2012, 2013, you know, we hadn't really gotten into that world of, the direct to streaming via Netflix or other networks to take something and really expand it into a larger piece instead of cramming it all into a, a 90 minute movie, but saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take these books and we're going to do this as a series on Hulu or Netflix, Netflix or Amazon and really spend some time to really spread the story out to, to get into the character development. This was really rushed and condensed to, to fit everything in and to me it gave this the sense of a, a story that was almost i guess the word i could think of is hyper real it it is a realistic world but things are so i guess kicked up a notch to another level it's almost like a modern fantasy tale because totally. it's it's you can see the the nature of these characters their relationships it's very real but almost at an exaggerated level Right, and to, to the degree where it, it's it's meant to be a uh, a super real caricature of what uh, what character connections could be, or what sort of allegiances, what kind of trusts are out there, and things like that. I, and I think it, I don't think it shied away from that. I like that it went through that door and said, "This is what we are. Where this this is what the characters were. It, this is, I, I guess, what I see is the characters were like that in the book. So let's go ahead and do it in the movie and just go all the way." Yeah, because we're we're dropped right into. The middle of everything. This isn't uh, an origin story. This isn't odd, you know, discovering his powers and 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 establishing him himself. He's already had this for you know. This is who he is. We're dropped into just this specific point in his life and the relationships he has with the other characters. He's got to fill us in on those. But I think that's to me one of the enjoyable aspects was i didn't have to sit through a lot of the getting to know all the characters these characters all know each other and have history that they can refer to as needed and we just sort of have to jump in and move along with them without having to let the story try to explain all of that yeah i think they did that really gracefully the fact that they didn't feel they needed to make a a total a third of the film about the origin. I thought I thought the way that they taught us about the mythology and his powers and all that stuff, it gave us uh, much more license for suspension of disbelief when other things come up later in the film. It just seemed like additional parts of his powers, uh, you know, maybe he has a spidey sense in addition to whatever he's got going on. It, it, all of that seemed more acceptable based on the fact that they just took it and ran with it. I've also seen it twice, and I think the first viewing, it took me a while to get a sense of how the film was going to balance all the different aspects of the horror, the mystery and the comedy to really wrap my head around what I should be expecting from the film. And the second time through, I was able to enjoy it a lot more sort of getting the sense of it's that light pulpy type of film. Um, and I'm willing to sort of set aside some of those weaknesses, knowing 
that that's really what the film is going for, I think, or striving for was sort of this lighter, odd, uh, unique tone that I'm willing to, I guess, be a little bit more forgiving with some of those more heavier handed aspects of we're, we're going to dump all of this sort of exposition through voiceover um, that usually you, you know, it's sort of a, a cheat or a shortcut of, well, if I just tell you everything, then we can move along. But I, because it's such a fun place to be and I enjoy the characters. Do you mean um, Pico Mundo is a very fun yes. place to be? <laughs> I think it's, it's amazing. a unique place to be. Yes. I think it well, and it's it's New Mexico, so everything was filmed yes. in New Mexico. But I think it's so amazing how everywhere anyone goes in the story is just loaded with people. It's the most popular <laughs> place. The mall is immensely popular. It's like every yes. store has a you know going out of sale, going out of business sale at, at the time that they're in the mall, and yeah. then the bowling alley literally. Every lane is taken up with three different teams of bowlers. I don't know how they fit them all in, but it is loaded with bowling alleys or bowling players. I just think it's it's amazing. Pico Mundo seems like the most fun place ever if there wasn't these sort of, you know, crazy, terrible yeah. deaths going on everywhere. Oh, it's the largest small town you've ever been in. You know, there's just it's a small town that's got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people apparently living there. Uh, yes. Uh, it, and they it all is, hang out together yeah. all the time. Yes, exactly. But that's, I think, the the tone of there's, uh, it's something my wife and I have talked a lot about in just what we see in movies and TVs of everything has to be so realistic and gritty. And what right, I right. really appreciate about this is almost that throwback to the 50s of like the aspirational, you know, this is, we can set an ideal of like, it would be great if, yeah, everybody got together, you know, was hanging out at the bowling alley and everybody is just really kind to their neighbors. Yeah, there's the dark underside that's going on but there's just you know when else can you have sort of this outsider character like odd just you know sort of call up the police chief and say hey um i know you're you know, having date night with your wife but hey could you come and check this out and right. be like sure odd no problem i'll be there in just a minute <laughs> and they did that like four times right yes exactly they have four date nights or four uncomfortable <laughs> situations that they tried to interruptions yes with willem dafoe which uh, is perfect for him as, right. as a cast there. Pico Mundo, I'm looking at the translation. I thought Pico was some version of small. It actually, what I'm seeing here is like peak, uh, P-E-A-K. Oh. So oh, okay. peak of the world, Mundo is world. So it's like top of the world, that kind of thing. I don't know. Oh, I mean, okay. That okay. might be a, a, a throw out to Dean Koontz of what he's trying to talk about there. But I think that's yeah. interesting when you consider that uh, you talk about that, maybe like that Pleasantville, hyper-real, uh, aspirational world that's going on there. And, and Dean Koontz names it, you know, uh, the peak, peak world yeah. that we could have there. We've talked about this world. We should probably talk about the people that are inhabiting this world. And okay. One of the reasons we we picked this, I think, for October was, you know, Odd Thomas is a is a horror film. It's sort of fitting for October. But we also had talked about this as as being sort of our Anton Yelchin memorial episode. He oh, man. You know, passed away passed away this uh, this summer, um, and it was an opportunity to really talk about him and his work, and you know, really as you know, the lead in this film. Uh, for me, it, this was just a role that. He, it was very fitting for him because when I think back to his work in Star Trek and, and the other film that really comes to mind for me with him is Charlie Bartlett, which there, okay. which was, a again, another really sort of quirky film where he is a character that's sort of this outsider, but is able to really just establish these trusting relationships with people. And to me, it's just something that came across in this as well of 
you just have to love odd. He's, he just gets along with everybody. He's such a quirky person, but he's so accepted by everybody. And to me, it was just a perfect casting for him because he just seems like, how can you not like this guy? Yeah. Uh, Completely likable and, and really a great uh, performance as well. I think, uh, really of everyone in the film i thought he was the most i was the most bought into him and that and that might just be because he's so likable in that respect but i just it was i don't know it was really positive i was i was super happy with what he was doing there and and how terrible is it that he died it's just uh you know i i'm looking at his imdb now and i haven't seen charlie bartlett but i've seen tons of things with him in it, it he has a huge uh, a huge list of different things that he's done and then the great stuff that he was doing with star trek too i mean he was I feel like he was mainstreaming in a way that someone like me who hadn't seen his, his earlier stuff or recognized him as a character actor in that earlier stuff, that he was starting to 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 really kind of make some waves for, for someone who's just me on the outside. And I loved what he was doing with Chekhov. You know, he's he's born in Russia originally um, and then uh, and then but called an American actor. And then you talk about the way he died in that freak, freak accident. Um, yeah. And the first time I watched it, I didn't pay attention. But when you saw that other seer that he's having the conversation with, oh, mowed down, gets, yeah, by like a truck, right? Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It sounds like you've seen more of his stuff. Well, uh, you know, again, I mean, this I'm familiar with him with the Star Trek, but uh, looking at back, I, I think it's it's his early years. It was a, a lot of stuff when he was a little kid, perhaps younger on TV that I wasn't as familiar with. But uh, like, if anybody hasn't seen. Charlie Bartlett, I I do recommend it. It also stars uh, Hope Davis as his mom and uh, Robert Downey Jr. of the as the principal of the public high school where Charlie Bartlett. Uh, it's the last option left to him because he's been kicked out of every other private school. Wow! And uh, it's just again something that really was a fitting role for him. Again, sort of a quirky tone, but again, you just really connect with this character of Charlie Bartlett who's trying to be well-liked in his school where he's really the outcast. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, something I saw again in, in, you know, odd Thomas. I did not, I don't recall seeing Terminator Salvation. I don't, I don't, I think that's one of, I think I stopped after Terminator three. So I didn't see him in Terminator Salvation to be able to really see how he pulled off, you know, Kyle Reese in sure. that one. Um, but again, I think the direction he was going, I, you know, somebody I was really looking forward to enjoying where his career was moving. And again, just such a, a tragic loss. Yeah. Yeah. It, he still has films in post-production. There's going to be more of him on screen um, in, uh, well, they, there's a couple here that say 2016, but which we don't have a whole lot of time left, but one saying yeah. we don't, we don't belong here and rememory, which I'm not sure what those are. And then one for 2017 uh, called Thoroughbred. So, I mean, for, for a, a younger guy um, with uh, with a whole lot of credits and still stuff coming out, it's just really sad to see him yeah. pass away. So, I mean, again, you know, really solid performance. I mean, he really carried, I think, this film. You know, we've also got, you, you mentioned Willem Dafoe as uh, Chief Wyatt Porter, which Willem Dafoe is always somebody, I, I always wonder about the roles he takes because it can go from such dark roles to something just so light Yeah, with this one as... <laughs> It's the chief of police again, who's just so accessible and just a, a, a good natured guy. Yeah. And one of the most flexible actors, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. this, this reminded me of the role he played in uh, Boondock Saints. 
Oh yeah, when yeah, he was the exactly. investigator there, um, right. and and they and they sort of trickled into his personal life there too. It, it really felt a lot like that, and I thought he did a great job. We also had other uh, sort of lead we have is his uh, Odds Thomas's girlfriend Stormy, uh, played by Addison Timlin, uh, who I think was I think mismatched really with with Anton in terms of being able to really carry a performance. She's for me, I'm not familiar with her at all, but it really felt like, I guess, more TV than yeah. film to me. Yeah, and I think she's really pretty, but I think she was kind of, I mean, I think she was placed there because she's so striking. Um, yes. And I don't yeah. think, you know, one of the things that, if we talk about my complaints about the films or my critique about the film was that it felt like a book a lot. And mm-hmm. a lot of her dialogue, she delivered like it was a line that I was reading as opposed to her being a character, embodying a character and delivering it. Um, the whole idea of my odd one or, you know, yeah. her addressing him with this pet name. I totally see how that would work in a book, but she, and maybe it's something she could have done. Maybe it's something that they could have eliminated from the dialogue altogether, but she just felt really wooden. And at times I felt like they were missing a piece of, of chemistry that was so important when they had this sort of, we're going to be together, this sort of Forrest and, uh, and Jenny relationship, uh, where yeah. it should have been, uh, more serious between them. And they didn't, it, like you said, they, there was a little bit of a miscast there because, um, because Anton really carried odd in a way that Addison didn't do with Stormy. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think the, the tragedy of their relationship would have carried a lot more weight for me, I think would have really strengthened the ending of the film in the tone of where it went, that it just wasn't capable of, of getting there. And that's, I think, sort of one of the issues I had with it is it, it starts off, you know, really moving along and it's things slow down at the end. There should be some, emo- you should really feel the heaviness of right. loss at the end of the film. And it, it just really didn't come through. Um, and I, I, I think that it is, it does come down to as you said, the, the lack of chemistry between them. Yep. Uh, there were two other familiar faces that I had not expected to see the first time I saw this. And, and the one that I, I sort of tack up to stunt casting is Arnold Vosloo. Okay. Who plays, who plays Should Tom, I know him? Tom Jed, who yeah. is like the guy, the ghost that is hanging out at the auto shop. Who's ah, yeah. got his arm lost. Yes. The Arnold Vosloo. Yes, yes. The jokey guy who's, you know, will take his dismembered arm to scratch his crotch. Um, <laughs> I, I call it stunt casting because Odd Thomas, this film was directed by Stephen Summers, who directed The Mummy. And he's and the guy. He's the Arnold mummy. Arnold Vosloo was the mummy in that one. So <laughs> a bit of, of humorous stunt casting for just that, that brief scene. And then. Well, they should have yeah. had some uh, beetles or, uh, or scarabs coming out of his <laughs> mouth. Out that his would mouth. have been funny, it, that, too. Yes. And then uh, Pat Oswalt, who yes. I did not uh, expect to see again, just a very small bit part. Uh, and this one as Ozzy Boone, who delivers a very crucial uh, piece of jewelry to Odd at a pivotal point in the story. That right. It's going to help save someone's life. Yep. Uh, and those, to me, that those, that was sort of the, the cast as I saw it, because it really is um, Odd and Stormy and the Chief that really the story moves around them. Uh, I was surprised. We We do have a lot of minor characters. And something that really shocked me, I think, the first time was we we uh, have a scene early in the film where Odd is over at the Chiefs for a barbecue, and we meet the Chief's daughter. Yep. And to have oh, her introduced, that you know, was early his daughter. Odd, I didn't realize that was his daughter. That, that was sense. his. Okay. That was his daughter, and she's sort of flirting with Odd and right. everything in a totally and creepy he, way. 
Yes. And, uh, you know, which isn't going to work. I mean, he's, he's devoted to Stormy. But then to see her death later on in the film was something that really caught me off guard because it, there's lots of death in this film that goes about it. But to me, this was one of the more shocking ones because we have such a close relationship with the chief. Yep. To have him lose his daughter was really surprising. I could see where that in a, in a book, but to have that in a film where you think how you're going to have the audience really connected with the character, because that puts, in my opinion, puts us in a really interesting position with how we're going to now perceive the chief who we have seen, as I said, you know, sort of as this lighter character, how is he going to respond to the loss of his daughter? We don't really have a lot of time with that. And so it really struck me as a interesting choice to to have it be her versus just some other, you know, teenage girl from the town. Yeah, and I think that's why I didn't imagine her as his daughter because they really don't touch on the fact that, that she yeah. affects the chief and uh, his wife at all when she dies. Yeah. I, I, I didn't even catch that. But then you think about, so you think about the care and, and here, you know, we're getting really into the spoilers, yeah. but he, you think about the care that they give to the death of Stormy at the end and how right. much time they really spend examining the grief that that little group of our principal characters is experiencing through that death and how it's really just not balanced with the other characters that of course this was if this was the daughter of the chief there would be much more a much bigger deal made about her death at the time right yeah so. exactly and it, again it comes back to that sort of the lighter tone this balance that i think Stephen Summers is trying to strike in this adaptation of the intensity of the horror, the frightening side, the right. mystery, and then the comedy to keep things. And that, to me, that was one piece that just didn't really sort of fit. And uh, I see one of the things you brought up, you know, in your notes was, you know, comparison of this to the Frighteners. Yeah. Which I hadn't even really thought about. It's been years okay. since I've seen the Frighteners. But I don't know if you want to sort of delve into that a little bit about what, what similarities... Well, I had the reason why I asked the question in the show notes is because, of course, since it's a movie about getting scared, I totally haven't seen it. However, (laughs) when uh, when (laughs) Odd Thomas, when when I watched it and then I I thought about what I knew about that movie and about how a character. So Michael J. Fox in The Frighteners, from what I understand, right, this is a Peter Jackson movie with Michael J. Fox, and he has a a talent like Odd that yeah. he uses to in early in the film he uses it for uh, for conning people and he uses it for um, for negative purposes but through the course of the movie he realizes that he can be a hero so um, so I felt like as I was watching the Odd Thomas story that the sorry sort of story vignette about what the Frighteners is is kind of what Odd Thomas is going through too in that he has this talent that he uses for good but does it kind of secretly and does it you know at, minimally but then all of a sudden there's this major event that he has to turn around and save pico mundo uh the yeah. town save the town uh and and lose the girl uh but um yeah so i was wondering if there's a connection there have you seen the frighteners uh, it's, it's been a long time but i sure. definitely even to the point of tone of something that's dark and has frightening moments but also the comic lighter side to it I'd say definitely this is a compliment to that. If if cool. Odd Thomas is something that you you enjoyed the the feel of that film where you you're okay with getting a, a you know a few little scary intense things, but knowing that it's balanced out, Frighteners is definitely something that is is worth checking out um, because it does have 
that oddness, the quirkiness to it. Um, and it will, it will give you the creeps at some points, but in uh, some jumps, but you're going to come out having a, having had a really good time with it. Yeah. I so like I that. So is, yeah. dark in tone, but light in yeah. weight. I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we could talk about, uh, first shot, last shot, ah, with some, okay. you know, uh, so as I, you know, it's easy for us to do that here on trailer sure. rewind because we're, Usually watching these on Netflix or Hulu, so it's really easy to go back and say, "Okay, what was that first shot? What was the last shot?" Yeah, uh, this one was interesting because it it really starts as this crane shot coming down from the sun in the sky to the "Welcome to Pico Mundo" sign, and then sort of moving into the town, which then leads us into the opening sequence where we get a tour of the town. The film ends with Odd Thomas. He's walking through the desert. He walks up a hill. It's overlooking Las Vegas. And then actually the final shot is is him sort of looking it out out at Las Vegas, saying the line, I I have a lot of work to do. Right. So sort of the transition from the small town to taking on sort of the larger task at hand that he's he's set out to do. The greater evil that is Las yes. Vegas. Yes, exactly. So I think sort of works in, in bridging the, the beginning of small town to, to larger of again i think with the intent of launching this possibly as a franchise worked to take us from small to large so it's a case where i think it was perhaps quite intentional yeah and i think it could be done for two reasons there i think that if they really do want to make it a series which i kind of question just because of the cast and because of the tone you know the, the things we talked about about how they weren't tr- trying to be overly serious about uh, taking the narration into into dialogue and sort of they let it be the book, which made it feel like a really sort of nice, uh, nicely wrapped piece. So I don't really I don't get the sense that that's what they were intending to do to make it a series, and because of the fact that it came out what 2013. So yeah. um, so it doesn't look like that's happening, whether or not that's because of money, but also potentially because of the way the script reads, I feel like it might just trying to be trying to stay true to the actual story in the book, in the original material, uh, whether or not, and I haven't read any of them. I didn't even know it was a series until, until you mentioned it. So I think that would be interesting to check out. Um, I think the pulp nature of it says this is the next step on odds journey, which could be the second step. So, um, yeah. and it leaves it open-ended to do that too. I think what you said was um, uh, the small town to bigger purpose, or that's kind of what I took yeah. away from what you said. And I think that that's kind of the neat way to look at maybe what uh, first shot last shot was uh, in this movie. Okay. The uh, other thing I wanted to touch on briefly before we start wrapping things up was for a film that, to me, you know, a straight-to-video release, uh, you know, uh, smaller film, something that was shelved for a while. Um, the quality of the visual effects in this for a film that that didn't get that that big release, I thought we've got a lot of supernatural things going on. We've got the the boat axe with these sort of supernatural bug-like creatures. We've got lots of gateways to different dimensions. A lot of visual effects to show. Odd Thomas's interactions with these other dimensions or his perceptions of things sort of leaking over into our world, which I thought looked really good for what I sort of took as a film that maybe sort of had had finished, you know, principal, you know, shooting and then got shelved. I don't know when the delay occurred, but, you know, it still looked like a lot of time and money spent to get those, you know, some pretty good effects up on screen. 
Yeah, it, I agree with you to a point. I think the Bodaks in particular I thought were clever and different and the effect worked, especially at the gateway to hell stuff. I thought that worked really well yeah. and it totally reminded me of Stranger Things. I think it actually comes off a lot like Stranger Things in the way that they do things uh, in that sort of gateway to the upside down. Yeah, there's a there's a parallel there yeah. altogether. The place where it didn't work for me is in the like simple fire effects. Um when the, oh, okay. when the what, what is it the the RV or the uh, the mobile home explodes. And, oh okay. Uh, yeah. it, it was yeah. just that was like painted on. It it it, it did not <laughs> that did not work for me and I feel like they they did such a great job and took such care with the other stuff that um that uh I agree. I think it looked like it was a little bit more professional than the release it got in terms of that, but yeah. um, the fire effects hit me kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I agree. There are there are some things that look, you know, a little like a, fall a little short of of the ideal, but I again, I think maybe because I came with such low expectations with something that was released straight to video, I was expecting some really bad like early 2000s style, you know, special effects where it just, you know, doesn't really sort of map onto the real world. Yeah. Right. But this, you know, I think, you know, things looked really well integrated in there. I'd be oh. interested to find out how Dean Koontz uh, puts to words uh, the Bodax. Oh, okay. yeah. Like how he yeah. described them. Because you mentioned that it was um, that it was like a bug and they kind of did look like that. I'm actually like searching around the web right now to find it. I see that it's spelled this. This is not something that I would have known from hearing it is B-O-D-A-C-H. And oh, then it's okay. a, uh, a Scottish Gaelic thing for uh, old man, rustic, churl, or lout. But they also been uh, it's been a boogeyman figure in Gaelic uh, folklore. So I think that's interesting. Oh, okay. um, and you know a lot of the different things here that I'm just looking at Wikipedia, uh, but it, I'm seeing things like talking about it as like an old clown or an old cloak, which is kind of different. More oh. reminds me more yeah. of the. Uh, the Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter folks. Oh yeah, uh, the but, Dementors. Yeah. Um, in Odd Thomas, they, he talks about it uh, here because I haven't read. Neither one of us have read the book, but um, it talks about describing them as shadow-like creatures that are invisible to most people, but not not specific. I, I'd be interested to see how he described it, and to also yeah. see how he feels they were represented in the film, because I think that would be really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, because I think there's the challenge of again bringing the something described to the visual representation to encapsulate that, to bring a, across that creep factor that you can spend so much time with words to develop uh, and rely on a reader's imagination, everyone actually presenting it there. Um, it, I think this is a, a greater challenge because you can, you can allude to something as being really shadowy and scary and, you know, makes your skin, skin crawl, throw it up there on the screen and people look at that and say, Oh yeah, it looks like a giant bug. It did you, yeah, did you find them scary? I I I thought they were they were inhuman enough, right? That they you know they were definitely you know they were human esque qualities with the, the the mouth, but you know the legs. So I you know there's between a lot of things that I've seen you know like Cloverfield. You know there's there's all, we're always trying to come up with more you know different types of you know bug like monsters. So I. I it's nothing that, you know, made my skin crawl or anything, but I think yeah. the sort of semi-transparent nature of them, you know, they can they can walk among people without being seen. And when Odd sees them, he can still, he sees them, but still sort of as a ghostly outline. So he, right. he knows they're there. Um, you know, it it worked. It, it gave me a sense of, of something that, you know, if I were confronted with and, you know, 
right there would definitely, you know, freak me out. Totally. But, you know, it's, uh, again, it's that challenge of, it can be described one way. And I, there, there was one other scene in the book that sort of bothered me. And again, it's that, tr- that challenge of bringing the book to the movie. Because in a book, you can describe a character or you can have somebody, but you can withhold details. Sure. Because there's a scene when when Odd goes to a house and he's he's hiding and a character walks out of the house and we only see like the shoes and, and lower pants of this person and hear their voice. Okay. Because clearly we can't see that person's face because then we're going to recognize the actor. And, and if it's somebody we've already seen before, it's going to sort of blow the big reveal later on. Right. Whereas I think in a book, you can just, you know, you can, the, the person's voice or face isn't going to give it away because if that character hasn't seen that person before they're not going to recognize that person but for us as an audience we may recognize that actor so it was one of those things where i thought oh you're not showing me this because clearly it's somebody that i've seen before so right. who are the characters i've seen let me try to piece this together it's one of those you know real tough challenges of how an author can withhold certain details have a character present but still disguise their identity that's much more challenging to pull off in a film yeah, I, and interestingly, the idea of not being able to see faces, the the scariest part to me was where he started having the first flashes of the bowling, uh, the bowling alley oh. workers. I was going to say the bowling team, oh. but the bowling alley workers where they were approaching yeah. him and being faceless. That oh, was, yeah. That was the most horrifying part of the movie for me. I, I had to kind of break away a little bit at that point. Oh, okay. All right. Um all right, I guess closing comments. Sure, on sure. The, I, on the I, film. I think people should see it. I think it's it's totally fun. And uh, this is a perfect film for Trailer Rewind. I think if you find it in your, if you see it in Netflix, if, if Netflix suggests it for you, or uh, it's the kind of film that you dig, uh, meaning the horror comedy uh, suspense thing, it's somewhat lightweight enough for you to enjoy it if you definitely like those kind of suspense things. It's usually too much for me. I wouldn't choose it uh, if if we weren't doing it, but it totally works for me. And I loved, I loved the bookended story. I loved the fact that it was all wrapped up and that in general we had a pretty much ultimate protagonist who figured out the way to get through everything. That's, that's the kind of thing I dig. And I think it's, it's enjoyable, it's cute, it's fun, and it makes for a great Netflix night. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. It's, it's a lighter film. It's enjoyable, has those touches of darkness. I wouldn't call it horror, you know, compared to a lot of the other things that are, that are out there that are definitely not something I'm really into. Uh, but it, it, that, that darkness is just enough for me. Uh, if I had seen this as like a young teenager, I think I would have really, really loved this film. I, I, it's enjoyable, but it is, it is lightweight. Um, it's because it was released straight to video. I couldn't find information about a rating on this film because I was struggling with, is this, would this have come out as an R film? Cause there's, you know, some pretty gory things in the intensely frightening scenes, such as the, the bowling, you know, the faceless bowlers, um, or would this be sort of a PG-13 that's really sort of straddling that higher end of PG-13? Because I, as I, you know, watched it that second time, I thought, okay, my kids, they're 14 and 16. Yeah, there's some intense pieces, but probably be okay because it's not so much that I think it's, you know, disturbingly frightening. I think there's, you know, a few things that are unsettling. But I think this really straddles that line where if you're looking for something, you know, that's, you know, and you're not into horror, you're looking for something around, you know, Halloween that I think for older kids would definitely be, you know, appropriate and enjoyable. You know, I think definitely younger kids way, 
way too intense for them. Yeah. But for something that, you know, as a family without getting, if you're not into the really disturbing, you know, like sinister and the conjuring and, and all of those things that to me are really dark and uh, upsetting. This is something that can, can have a little, a little fright to it, but still be enjoyable that, that when you turn it off, um, you don't ha- feel like you have to have all the lights on. Right. But, uh, you, you've, you've watched a, a good adventure, you know, mystery with some, some darkness to it that, that everybody can enjoy. Yep. Yeah. And I would also mention that there is a bit of graphic violence and some gore. Yes. And yes. that's kind of a thing, too. I, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. the conjuring aspect of it. Those are the things that I think would get people to not not want to see it. it, it I had it up a little bit too loud <laughs> when I was watching it the second time. And my wife came out and was like, wow, what is that? So, <laughs> it, again, the kind of thing of if that's not an environment you're comfortable with, then it's great because yeah. it's like cotton right. candy fun. Right. All right. So... On your flick chart, yeah. Where did, where did this one fall in your flick chart? Well, I'm not super happy it, it, yeah. because it feels low uh, for me. Uh, it, it felt really hard to rank it, I guess, um, against other films. You know, you mentioned the direct-to-video; it had 27 million dollar budget and went direct-to-video, but wow. it's still kind of fun and and special. I liked it better than where it ended up. So after I watched it the first time, which was in August when we first talked about it, it was up in the uh, low 80s for me. It shows wow. up now at nine. 91 out of 122, which feels just way too low for me. Um, I have it below Say Anything. It, it's not going to be Say Anything. And I have it above <laughs> The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which most people like a little bit more than I do. But uh, okay. um, yeah, but so it goes in there. I think it's fun. I think it deserves a higher rank. I just think that down in this area, we have a lot of movies that are big movies that uh, I just don't like as much as other people. And I, in most cases, I don't think I can put Odd Thomas above those. Oh, I hear you. So for me, it, it came in just about right in the middle of my chart. It's oh, 103 out of 204. That's great. It's just below Batman Begins. Oh. And, and just above Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which <laughs> I enjoy, but I just, I don't know, when I first saw that, it just, I didn't click with that movie as a lot as much as a lot of other people my age did at that time. So I yeah, think it's enjoyable, similar. but it just... I- there's I think parts they're of similar in tone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Sam Demas is Pico Mundo. I, I know this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's, yeah. So, so I think it's, it's in a good spot where it's, it's above a lot of other things. Uh, and then just below Bill and Ted is Robot and Frank, which is another, you know, small film that's really enjoyable. You know, something you'll watch maybe once or twice and you, you may not ever come back to, but as you're watching it, you're going to really enjoy it and have it, have a good time. And I, to me, Odd Thomas is one of those films. I, I had a really good time watching it. I'm probably not going to come back to it that often. You know, again, maybe with the kids around Halloween, but it's it's definitely an enjoyable film. Yep. All right. Well, now that we've rewound, let's fast forward to what's coming up on the next reel. Pete and Andy are in their very short series, This Is Real Life, Jack. So they've got a, uh, got some more of that coming along. And then later this month, the film board is meeting to take on Jack Reacher, Never Go Back. Which I'm super excited about because I didn't, first of all, I didn't know it was a series of books. So there's that connection with Odd Thomas here. But the other thing is um, you guys have been talking about it and I didn't see the first one. So I went out and got it from my library and I really liked the first one. So I don't have the connection to the books like you and Pete do, but I thought the first movie was really excellent and really fun. So I'm very excited to see the new one. 
I, I'm glad you enjoyed the first one. It's one I'm looking forward to revisiting before heading out to the theater to see Never Go Back when it comes out in a couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, I had thought about going back and, and reading, you know, the first Jack Reacher novel or whatever, the first one. But after reading Never Go Back, yeah, I'm just not a, a fan of the books. However, I am, you know, a little intrigued. And if I do have some summer reading that I'm needing to look, uh, fill some space in, I may, you know, throw that Odd Thomas series in there for some sort of light, pulpy fun in the summer. I think this series might be something to, to fill that niche for me. It's got to be a quick read, right? I mean, that's, it's going to, ha- I would assume that it has that cotton candy thing to the mo- to the book as well. It's pulpy. It is. Yeah, I imagine. And I, I really enjoyed the characters in the world. So it's something that I have a feeling I could probably easily, easily jump into. Nice. JJ, it's been ha- great having this conversation with you about Odd Thomas. I think we can definitely tell Pete he won us over on this one and that there's, you know, his his fears about this one were unfounded because I think this is one, if he hasn't already added to his library, I'm sure he will quickly add it after we talk with him about it. I think so too. And I actually think he may have already seen it being that it was out in 2013. So probably, it'll be fun probably. to talk to him about it too. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a good night, sir. Yeah, you too. See you later. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. (laughs) 